Sunday Gold's NCAA Baseball Postseason Edition. It is regional time, and Florida State headed to the Auburn Regional as the number three seed, Arya Masudi and Brett Nevitt. And uh, another Sunday Gold's here, Brett, where we now move into do-or-die postseason baseball. And uh, I think, you know, uh, for this podcast, let's chat a little bit about Florida State's regular season now that the ACC tournament's over as well, um, what that means for Florida State going forward and, and the program. And then we'll talk a little bit about the NCAA selection show and, and some of the interesting decisions that were made there. And then I think we should definitely preview each of the teams in Auburn, give you a big synopsis of what to expect out there at Plainsman Park. And then uh, I think we'll take some questions too at the end to wrap up this podcast. We are on Apple. We are on Spotify. We appreciate all of you that have been supporting us all year. We're up to about 40,000 listens here on Sunday Golds, and that's not possible without you guys. So we really appreciate it, and we're excited about postseason baseball. This is what it's all about, Brett. Uh, the Knowles, they get to go to SEC territory in just about a, a three-and-a-half-hour drive from Tally. Yeah, it's June baseball now. It's um, it's completely different. You know, I, I kind of like the regional matchups for FSU. It's, it's regional with quality teams, but I don't think there's any team that – really separates himself from the group a whole bunch. Um, you know, I just think it's going to be about who plays their best baseball at the right time. And, um, you know, I still don't think we've seen this team's best baseball, and hopefully we get it at some point. But, um, you know, just really have to play so much more consistent than than you ever did in regular season. And that's the reason you're a three-seed again. Um, just you can never find consistency over the last two years. And, um at some point it, it that just becomes that's something that has to be fixed at some point i don't think a three seed three years in a row and uh, you know one of the last four teams to make it in whether we agree with it or not that's a fact they were our last four team to get in and two of the last three years and um i just think aria would agree with me that that's it's just that's just not good enough here at florida state yeah you know brett i think for me from a historical standpoint you know, having grown up in Tallahassee and just going to all these games year in and year out, you mentioned it, whether it's fair or unfair, right? But the standard is the standard. And that's what Mike Martin Sr. 11 built. It was a program that you expected every year to win 40 games because they did it for 40 straight years. You expected them not only to make a regional, but it was almost like breathing oxygen. You just kind of expected to, right? To host a regional. We never asked whether Florida State would be on the bubble to host a regional. It was an afterthought. You would always say the first weekend of June, you would be at Dickhauser Stadium, right? Like Florida State's administration would be planning to host all these teams coming in. There'd be that press conference. There would be, you know, Chuck Walsh would be getting ready to be taking care of all these teams coming in and uh, being the, the, the deputy guy who runs it. And, and now all of a sudden we've gone from a program that – I think even making a top 16 <laughs> wasn't good enough for a lot of the fan base to a point now where we would be over the moon to host a regional. And that lets you know just how far the program has dropped in terms of consistency. And I'm not saying that Florida State won't get back to that level. It's possible. And I think Mike Martin Jr. can be the guy who does that. But like you said, I think things clearly have to change. And for Florida State to be competitive in the ACC – Brett, finishing ninth is unacceptable in this league. It's a really good league, but you're also Florida State. Yeah, and I mean, obviously there's some other things that go into it, and we're probably a little bit spoiled. And, I mean, you still have been in the tournament in 44 straight years, which is you know ties the record now for the longest streak. And I think the only 
the, you know, the closest active streak is only about 16 or, or 13 maybe for Vandy, something like that. Um, but, yeah, there's just some things that, that, that need to be re- rethought about, I think. There's just there's cer- certain things that have been issues for year after year after year. It's like at some point those things have to change and people just can't be stubborn about them anymore. I mean, I think it's become you know evident that this program – one needs more hitting talent, but more so than anything, I just think there needs to be a change to the hitting philosophy. Um, you know, we've had different players in here each of the last three seasons, and it seems that mostly everybody's been struggling with with what they've been asked to do, except for you know a, a Drew Mendoza and a Matt Nelson, who are two really special talents. Outside of that, it's just a lot of kids that have struggled and you know haven't really been developed and. You know, I just think the roster management as a whole and the development, the way, you know, I mean, FSU's already, what, six to 13 kids from this year's recruiting class are already gone. Maybe more will join it after the season's completely over. At some point, you got to start developing your own kids. You've got to start de- being homegrown. you got to really build your program from within and stop having to go JUCO route and transfer portal and all this and all that. It just, it needs to start being built up from within, and it needs to start being everything around the program needs to start being more consistent and, and take a step up because um, being one of the last four teams, two out of three years, it's just that, that needs to be a wake up call in my opinion for, for someone somewhere in this program. That was sobering, wasn't it? To see the name pop up there. And, and we'll talk about the selection show because I, I don't know that I agree that Florida state was one of the top was one of the last four to get in by resume. I think that that was, after digging into the NCAA committee's philosophy and, and seeing the national beat and, and national writers kind of rip them apart for their job that they did. Because, and again, like I said, we're going to talk about it here in a few minutes, but it was awful. I mean, the selection committee was trash this season. And I, and I just, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, they were awful. Um, and we'll get into the reasons why, but so I, I don't buy that Florida state was one of the final four teams to get in. But at the end of the day, what if FSC was NC state and was snubbed? You know, whether we think it was right or wrong, we could go on a tirade, write any article we want, you wouldn't be playing in the regionals. And that's the bottom line. So Florida State, definitely, I think you've gone to, you've become a 500 ACC program pretty much for the last five or six years. You're struggling to win your division. Um, it, we wouldn't be this alarmed if this wasn't Florida State baseball. You talk about Florida State baseball in the way that people talk about Duke basketball, Kansas basketball. Kentucky basketball, Alabama football, Georgia football. See what I mean? It's a level that if you are underneath anything that isn't excellent, you're not doing your part. And I think Meat knows that. I mean, he was a part of this program. He's been a huge part of building what Florida State did. You have to give him credit for that because he's he has been a backbone of Florida State baseball with his father. Uh, and he's he seems to be excited. Him and Metcalf and Belly, when you talk about the future of FSU and what they have coming in, they seem to feel like they've got those pieces that will change the game. But we can only call it like it is, Brett, right, from what we see. We can't project into the future. That's We'll leave that to the coaches, and, and we'll definitely, you know, I trust that they'll try and get it right. I do. But at some point, you can't have 5,000 fans at Dickhauser Stadium every weekend who are passionate putting up with 500 ACC baseball, putting up with series losses uh, to teams you have no business losing them to, to losing midweek games to JU on the regular, um, to the dominance that Florida has shown over you in the last 10 years, to, 
I could go on and on uh, to not hosting regionals, to being on the road like this every single year as a three seed. And it, it, it's not FSU baseball. It's not the, the program that I grew up falling in love with, the program that I, the, all the players that, you know, come through and you see them on the walls at Hauser. This hasn't been the same program for, for a while now. So that's the hope is moving into next season that they can do that. Maybe they will. Um, meet could be the guy who changes it. But as of right now, this isn't acceptable. I agree with you. You, you can't be a three-seed on the road, a fringe bubble team, a couple years in a row. I mean, at the end of the day, for the last three years, you haven't been a top 32 team when the season ends, when the regular season ends. And in two of those seasons, you've been at the very back line of the top 48. You're somewhere from 45 to 48, just based off the committee seatings and everything, how they do the way they do things. Um, I mean, as a program as a whole, you're not top 15 in the country right now. You're, you're way behind on, on just about everything, I would feel like, when it comes to facilities. Um, so you're in a bit of a rut there, too. Um, it's just... There's just definitely, I mean, it's just, it's everyone everywhere, everybody a part of the program. It's not one person. I think we've mentioned that before. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a total believer in the recruiting that they do and, and the talent that they're going to bring in. But at the end of the day, that talent's not going to matter if it doesn't get developed, if it doesn't, if it's not put in positions to succeed, if it's not, um, you know, given the tools that, 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 that it needs to, to become the players that it could possibly be. So at the end of the day, there's people in every single phase, every single role that need to take a little bit of a step up to put FSU to the place that we expect them to be. I mean, you went into this season as the preseason favorites in the conference and finished ninth, and you were the last team in the conference to make the tournament. Um, there, there's no way around it. That's, that's, not, that's not good enough. And you could go and do anything in this postseason still. I think we both think that this team could make a run. We both think this team could go 0-2 at the same time. Um, but at some point, you got to put together strong postseasons. you got to get postseasons back at Hauser because that's what it's all about at the end of the day, I think. And, and, and that's what this program needs. That's what this program wants is, is to have postseason games back at Hauser. Yeah, and again, the only reason we are laying it out like this is because – Florida State is a blue blood. Like when I went to Omaha twice the last five years and you talk to the neutral college baseball fans, they say, who are you here for? And you say, Florida State. And they go, oh, man, Florida State. That's a program. And it's reached back into the 80s, the 90s, early 2000s. And, again, that's a credit to, to 11. And a credit to Mike Martin Jr., who's been a part of it. But now, you, you know, Jr. is the head coach, and it, it is his obligation. And I think it's his duty to try and get Florida State back to where this fan base expects it to be. So uh, I look forward to seeing if they can do that. And, and I think, you know, Brett and I wanted to lead off talking about FSU's overall state of the program because of just seeing them pop up as one of the last four uh, again. And it, it is sobering and it, it hurts, right? And I don't think Meat was very happy about it when he showed up to the press conference right after the selection show. You could tell that it kind of shocked a lot of people, but you are, you are who you are until you're not, right? And that's what they say. And Right now, Florida State is not a premier baseball program. They're not playing like one. And so that's, that's going to be the objective for this program moving forward in the years to come, and, and we look forward to seeing that. But that being said, one step towards that is a potential run this season. And you go to an Auburn regional that many people don't think is all that difficult. I mean, there's three decent teams in there. 
in Auburn, UCLA, Florida State, but neither of the three have been consistent all year, and uh, Auburn has been a, a program that um, hasn't really been a power for a while. They've got Butch Thompson there now. I think he was the former Alabama pitching coach uh, for the Crimson Tide, and um, that's going to be a, an interesting regional for FSU. But before we break that down, Brett, could we talk about the selection show a little mm. bit and, and your thoughts on the overall job the committee did? Yeah, I just I thought it was random. A lot of it was random. Um, you know, I know, I know a lot of people have said it, but at some point they just need to set guidelines before the year. I mean, I, you, you don't really give any guidance to teams in, in what they need to do in scheduling and what they – I mean, there was just certain things – that made no sense, and more so than anything, it's just an absolute joke. The way that they, the way that they see the, the ACC, it just it makes no sense to me. Um, it seemed that everyone else in the, in in the in the in college baseball world, except the committee, thought the ACC was the best conference in the call in the you know in the country this year, if not one A one B with the SEC. And um, I mean, Notre Dame's not a host. NC State's not in. FSU is the last four team in. Um, I mean, they sent Georgia Tech to, to Tennessee. Um, I mean, all over the place. The, it's just it was a bit ridiculous the way the ACC got represented. Uh, Big Ten also got absolutely just completely screwed. I mean, some of the things at the Big Ten were just as bad. Um, and, you know, both those conferences just have no representation on the com- committee, which I just I don't get at all. Um, I mean, the head of it's – you know, I think he's what the AD at Army. Um, how much baseball do you think this guy, that guy, was watching this year? I mean, to me, it felt like you know. I know a lot of people talk about the non-conference strength of schedule and RPI, but I mean, FSU's was four, I think, or maybe their complete strength of schedule was four. Their non-conference not, not top thirty, right? Which and is really good. The FSU ticked all the boxes that it seemed like, except for the fact that they hadn't played well the last couple weeks of the season. To me, it felt a lot like. A lot of these decisions were based on just how teams did in recent weeks. Um, North Carolina, for say, getting in, you know, I think North Carolina should be regional host, but it doesn't make sense to me why Notre Dame's not a regional host. It just Some of them just, it's just, I don't know. It's, but I, I mean, I think it's this every year because there's no guidelines ever set in place. There's, there's a different determining factor every single year, which, which just makes no sense. Let me just go ahead and run down the the people who make up this committee. Can I give you the conferences that they represent? The Mid-American Conference, the Sun Belt Conference, the Mountain West Conference, the Patriot League, Southland Conference, A-Sun, the Missouri Valley Conference. You got one SEC guy, one Big 12, and one Pac-12. All right. There's no Big 10. There's no ACC. Why in the world... Is there more than five mid-major conferences representing the selection committee for the sport? I'm all for, look, I want representation from smaller, smaller conferences. I think that's important for the bubble, right? To make sure that those programs are spoken for. This is unacceptable, though. I mean, it's completely, this is a garbage panel. I mean, it's garbage. Like, how do you not have... The ACC, who's argue, argued, argumentally, excuse me, arguably, that took a while to get that right word, didn't it? The best baseball conference really consistently every single season. It's always been the SEC and the ACC. And this year, by all accounts, the ACC was better top to bottom. 
that can't happen. The Big Ten, people have been begging for the Big Ten to have representation and to, to try and get regionals moving north, to try and expand the sport moving north, right? And you don't have anybody representing that conference. That is a big money conference, and you have nobody representing them. That's not good for the future of this sport, uh, in my opinion, for the growth of this game. And then people wonder, you know, why, why is softball rapidly advancing past the game of college baseball? And yes, some of it has to do with speed of play, and some of it has to do with marketing. But I think a lot of it has to do with the way that things are represented in the game of softball. I'm disheartened as a kid who grew up loving college baseball. Like, you could find me at Hauser every single weekend since I was seven years old. And to see what happened at NC State was complete BS. For Notre Dame not to host a regional with that kind of RPI and SOS was insanity for Florida State to be a Final Four team in. FSU was not a bubble team by no metrics. That's ridiculous. To see Maryland, who was supposed to be a national seed, not even, you know, barely get a hosting spot. Come on now. This was lazy. You, the guy comes on the, the post-game selection or whatever talking to, to the broadcasting crew, and he says things like non-conference strength of schedule and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, well, yeah, some of that sounds pretty good, but at least stick to it. If you're going to reward North Carolina, Brett, and Florida for late-season surges and conference tournament surges, then NC State making the championship game of the ACC tournament should warrant at least getting into the field. That, to me, is mind-blowing. So anyway. It's, it's mind-blowing to me still how they put such an emphasis on the SEC. It's an absolute joke that Ole Miss is in the tournament. I mean, they've, who have they beat in series wins? They had, a, they had a sweep over LSU a couple weeks ago. Other than that, they don't have series wins over anybody. Um, Auburn being a regional host, many people didn't have that, especially over Notre Dame. They're not deserving over Notre yeah, Dame. Yeah, I think Auburn's the worst, probably – probably the worst regional host in my opinion or at least least deserving yeah or yeah and i mean i don't know i just don't think the sec is very good this year it's just it's just not none of these teams have been consistently good i mean arkansas is just not that good lsu is i mean they hit their fielding is so bad they don't have much pitching um i mean vanderbilt was 14 and 16 in conference florida and georgia are both 15 and 15 in conference I mean, Florida literally just got a regional host this week because they went four and two in in the conference tournament, which, like, okay, congrats. But, like, still, who does Florida have series wins over? I mean, like, it can complete on it. They have a series win over Miami early in the year. But in SEC play, I mean, they they don't have series wins over basically no one except Arkansas. And they just went on a run at the end against really bad teams in, in Mississippi State, Missouri, and South Carolina. They have a series loss to a team that's in their regional this year. Yeah, to Liberty. Right? Like, of bad non-conference losses that you take at home? The other thing that was weird this year about just no consistency was was the geographical stuff with them sending teams to places that just no – I mean, UCLA going to Auburn, that seems very random. There's just a lot of places where it literally feels like they just went – that it literally just feels like computer-generated almost. It's just like – and I don't mind not having teams within their geography because – we get some matchups that we haven't seen before, but it's just like, is there ever going to be consistency to this process, like, at all? Like, I, I just, 
It's weird. It's it's ex- extremely weird. I don't think we ever thought FSU was close to the bubble unless that maybe they had gone 0-2 at ACC tournament in a pretty bad way. And at this point, I'm questioning, you know, if they hadn't beat Virginia in the way they did or lost to them, I mean, who knows? If I mean, it's just it's such a weird thing, and it's terrible. I just it, none of it makes I mean, sense. Just call it what it is. It was awful. I agree with Meat, and I agree, you know what Mike Martin Jr. said when he came out, and it was the lack of representation from the ACC killed the conference, and it was brutal. I mean, it, it was brutal. And so I don't think this conference gives a single crap about baseball after the last two years. I, I mean, just don't know. And yeah, between the, the way they screwed the conference last year with the schedules, right. the way they cover it on TV with yeah, the ACC it's, network, it's yeah. an absolute joke. And they're all in on ACC softball. If you see that, like they're they all are in on, so they're good. all in on like field hockey and like lacrosse, lacrosse. and yeah. like yeah. yeah, But they 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 do not put together a good product in the ACC network for college baseball. It's I mean they're. They're pulling crews off of digital games and sticking people on the broadcast the morning of the game who are thousands of miles away calling it from a studio on a TV monitor, and they have no game prep at all for the week for this. For this, like, you literally have their broadcasters literally talking about not the game for an hour and a half because they're not prepared for the game. So I don't know. Anyway, I think our rant's over on that. Let's move forward. I mean... Or I'm sorry. You got one. If you got one, one more thing, thing to say, I wrap mean, it up. Sure. Like UCLA is ahead of Florida State in their own regional. UCLA is 19 sp- spots behind FSU and RPI, and about 140 spots behind FSU in non-conference strength of schedule. Um, like I, I get why UCLA is ahead of you because of record and everything, but like. You say you're using RPI and non-conference strength of schedule, then then what's the deal in that scenario? There's just very many head-to-head scenarios where it's like, I don't think they actually looked at this stuff. It kind of just feels like very complete randomness. Like, it's just the weirdest thing. Yeah, I mean, RPI-wise, UCLA is what, 48? 48. SOS of 47? I don't want to say that's a bubble team because they went 19-11 and 11 in the pack. And that's a good conference. But, like, man, a 48 RPI is a bubble RPI with that type of SOS. So that's such a weird resume to me. They shouldn't be above Florida State, who has a 29 RPI. And if you say strength of schedule matters, Brett, then you have to reward people for playing in a tough league. And Florida State did. Like, okay, yes, Florida State went 15 and 15, Brett. What would they go in a conference that isn't that good? Much better, right, than 15 and 15. I don't know. No consistency. There really was no rhyme or reason for the committee selections. And like Brett said, it seemed random. And there are coaches all over the country that are just scratching their heads and they're confused. But the bracket's the bracket. We can talk about this and maybe in the offseason we'll have more discussion about it. And and in the offseason, things might change for the better. But for right now, this is what we got and this is what we're going by. So let's definitely talk about this Auburn Regional. Uh, Brett, why don't we? You've got Auburn, who is, if I'm not mistaken, are they the 14 seed overall? Uh, yeah. And that's matched up with Corvallis, yes. who is Oregon State as the number three overall national seed. And how do you want to do this preview? Do you want to talk about each team individually? I can tell you, for those of you who have not, if you haven't heard yet, uh, Auburn will be hosting two seed UCLA, three seed Florida State, and four seed Southeast Louisiana. 
Brett, do you want to go team by team? Um, what do you think is the best way to attack this? Yeah, we can do team by team. All right, let's start with the one seed, or do you want to go backwards? Um, let's just start with, I'd say we start with, I mean, the team the FC is playing first game. Okay, let's do that. The UCLA, UCLA Bruins, 48 in RPI, 38 and 22 on the year out of the Pac-12. They went 19 and 11 in the conference, which is really good. I'll give them that. That's impressive. Brett, I watched a couple of their games this season. Um, and, and I know they're injured right now. They've been battling some really key injuries. They might be getting healthy at the right time. But I was actually impressed with UCLA. It's a scrappy group. They are a team that's well coached. Uh, John Savage is one of the better coaches in the country. It's a program with pedigree. That, you know, they've won national titles. And we can talk about all the stars that come out of UCLA year in and year out. Um, but this was a really good UCLA team who I thought maybe with some better injury luck, could have been a possible host. Yeah, so I would say UCLA is injury-riddled, talented, and extremely young. Um, those would be my three things for them. Um, I mean, they, they brought in one of the better recruiting classes ever this year, um, was number one for the season um, or for the recruiting ses- uh, season. And a lot of these kids have impacted in year one. A couple of them have gone down with injury. Um, first on the injuries, Jake Brooks was uh, UCLA's Friday starter entering the year. He's out for the year. Um, Thatcher Hurd was the best freshman, freshman pitcher in the country um, and really the best freshman in the country overall and had just started kind of starting for them and also being a big bullpen arm was going to be just – he was going to fill a big role no matter what for them. He's out for the year. Um, Gage Jump also believe he is out for the year. Another really talented freshman that started a couple games. He hasn't thrown since late April. Hurd hasn't thrown since early April, and I don't think Brooks has thrown since mid-April. Um, so they had a bit of a rough stretch there when they first lost all those guys. Um, I think they're nine and nine in their last eighteen games. They also have a few injuries coming into this week um, that seem to be day-to-day types. They're starting shortstop. Missed their last four games of the Pac-12 tournament. Their Friday, their new Friday arm did not throw last weekend, and their starting center fielder from the beginning of the year has missed the second half of the season with a hernia injury, but is expected to come back this weekend possibly. Um, so it's a team that there's some questions around health even this week coming in, but overall they they they're thinner than they were entering the year, but they're still extremely talented. Um, and some young kids are really starting to turn it on to this, this second half of the season for them that have propelled them to um, this two seed. They played really well in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, they were close to pushing for the title. Um, I think they scored 25 runs uh, against Oregon State. They had a game that was 25-22 to 22 that caught a lot of headlines this past week, and it went 10 innings, and they hit a um, – a, a walk-off, sorry, three-run home run to, to win that game. Um, but as Brett said, they're injured. They are talented. The Max Ragic kid, a uh, really good pitcher, and has been one of the better pitchers in the Pac-12 all season long. And as Brett said, that's one of the arms that um, has been injured, right? They, I think it's an oblique, like you said, that um, he's been battling. They held him out of the, the tournament. But um, by all accounts, he's supposed to be available to pitch against Florida State. And um, we haven't heard that officially but we expect it, and he's a righty. Fastball, I believe, 90 to 92. Pretty good spin rates on it. Uh, we'll throw a curveball that I've read that he could also break off for a slider if he needs to, and he's got a pretty elite changeup too. So he's got a four-pitch mix. I watched his game against Stanford 
to just kind of get a, a feel for him. He reminds me of Parker in terms of the, the competitiveness. He, he does like to look into the other dugout, and he pitches like a Friday night ace. So um, Florida State will have, have its work cut out against Ragic. Yeah, so like Arya mentioned, obviously, we, we kind of just have to project a lot with this UCLA team just because of the kind of the injury deals they have, especially from last weekend. But, yeah, Ragic, um, or Ragic is how you say it? Ragic? Rhymes with magic. Okay, Ragic. Um, Pretty good college arm, good college arm. Um, just puts together a lot of quality outings. I think he's gone um, six innings or more in each of his last eight starts. He's given up only he's only given up more than three runs one time in his fourteen starts, and three of his last six starts he's had double digit strikeouts. So starting to get better and better later in the season. Um, he really is a guy that has good command, but I think it is a little notable that in his last start before he missed Pac-12 tournament, he walked five guys. Uh, I think that's five of his 18 walks all year. Um, so I don't know if that was because of the injury that was happening or if that was maybe why they held him out this week. Um, but just a little something that I kind of found interesting. And, you know, maybe there was something in his last start that kind of went went wrong with him and the mechanics. But overall, 308 ERA, 10.4K per nine and 2.05 walk per nine. Um, low 90s fastball, changeups his best pitch. Um, as Arya mentioned, 78 to 80 mile per hour breaking ball. That's kind of a slurve. Um, basically, is a mix between the two. Sometimes when he's got it going right, it bites a little more like the slider. Sometimes he can manipulate it to make it more of a downhill breaker against against left-handed hitters. But um, overall, it's just an arm that knows how to pitch, knows how to get college hitters out, um, and is going to attack FSU in the zone if, if, if he's out on the mound, I think. Yeah, for sure. And Brett, you know, uh, I read that and when I was watching, he does like to use the curveball a lot. I mean, it's like the splits on it were as – he used it as much as his fastball. Um, and Stanford actually caught wind of that in that game and hit two home runs off of him, um, the one that I watched, and they were both on off-speed pitches. So uh, I wonder what Florida State's scouting report will be uh, and what their tendencies that they'll try and go after. Also, we do have to mention, Brett, that UCLA is flying two time zones over. That can always affect a team. Um, I actually think UCLA is still in school. They go by a quarterly system uh, out in California instead of a semester. And so that's been a problem for some Pac-12 teams in the past. I know Florida State fans will laugh because there was a – when they played Stanford, some of you who are listening, you guys will take a walk down memory lane with me. Mark Appel came into Florida State 2012, I want to say. It was like James Ramsey, Sherman Johnson, Devin Travis's team. And – Man, the broadcast team could not stop talking about how Stanford might be tired because they were taking exams that week and how it was so tough and all this stuff. And, and Florida State, Brett, beat them like 21 to 8 and 18 to 9. It was an absolute bloodbath in Tallahassee. Um, one of the best atmospheres Hauser's ever had. Uh, me and Ramsey were talking about it. James Ramsey were talking about it a couple years ago um, when he was down here. He said that was an electric atmosphere at Hauser. But yeah, they, I believe they're still in school. Uh, but this Ragit kid, um, we'll see. And isn't it always interesting, the first start after you come back from missing time? Uh, the question too, Brett, do you think he goes a full hundred pitches? Is that his pitch count? Who knows? Um, when you're dealing with this. And they've got some good bullpen arms, too, that they can trust. I imagine UCLA will go all in on game one. I just think that they they know who they are. Um, but they've put together some really impressive performances, man. They have wins over Oklahoma, who's red hot. They have win over Texas, who is considered by many to be one of the better teams in the country. And I, are they hosting? 
Did yes, Austin Texas, get a regional yes, host? They yeah. did, yeah. Um, they have a win over Oregon State. A series win over Oregon State. Um, dude, UCLA is really good. They're flying under the radar big time, in my opinion. So, yeah. And then the lineup, a couple of scrappy guys uh, led by, I want to say it's like Ciarelli. Is that how you say? I think it's Curiel. Okay, Michael good. Curiel. I'll let you, let you give the, the names then. Curiel and then what? Palmer and Karos, who is uh, son of the former Dodger. Yeah, so I just wanted to hit real quick on the the bullpen, sure. Because I think UCLA might. I think UCLA probably has the the best bullpen of the regional, uh, mix of young and experienced arms. Also, I don't think I think if Radic isn't able to go, then Kelly Austin will probably be UCLA's next option to start. Strike throwing guy, eighty eight, ninety one fastball, two quality off speeds, um, bit of a Connor Grady, I think, right hander, and just. Has a good slider and a good changeup that can get both get, can get hitters out. But in the bullpen, they have three freshmen that have been really key for them. Alonzo Treadwell is six foot eight righty who's has six saves and a one nine eight ERA, fifty five Ks to five walks, low nineties fastball kind of explodes from the big frame um, and long extension. He gets down the hill, pairs it with a curveball. Um, Luke Jewett is another righty freshman, three point four zero ERA in thirty one appearances. Runs fastball up to 95, but only has 25 Ks in 39 innings, which is a bit weird, but he's got hitters out, and that's all that matters. Um, Ethan Flanagan is a lefty freshman. He's also made six starts, so he could be a potential starter as well. 3-5-1 ERA and 11.5 K per nine over 56 innings. A couple veteran lefties, Jake Som and Daniel Colwell. I'm thinking Som will be the guy in some lefty-lefty matchups. Low 3-4 slot guy, um, 3-8-60 ERA over 20 innings. Uh, Charles Harrison's a righty, another righty that comes out of the pen, 4-3 run ERA, over 39.2 innings. Um, flipping back over to the, the hitters, um, already starting to mention them. Um, UCLA, it's not, you know, it's not an offense that pops off the screen at you at all. Um, just power, power numbers-wise, they don't have anyone in the double digits with numbers, only 41 homers. Um, but, I, I, you know, Ari and I have discussed it. We both think it's a bit deceiving. Um, you know, those Western Coast parks, they play a lot bigger than any Eastern Coast park. UCLA, that Jackie Robinson Stadium is a big field. Um, and wind blows in a lot of time. Hard to get ball out there. Um, I mean, they have Ethan Gorson, a freshman cleanup hitter, has 22 doubles. Um, I think that's top 30 in the country, but only three homers. He leads the teams with 44 RBIs or 42 RBIs. Um, Who's the other freshman? Uh, Cody Schreier is their starting shortstop. He's the freshman I mentioned that missed four games in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, can't remember exactly what he was dealing with, but um, he's got nine home runs, most on the team. He's their leadoff hitter, also has 11 stolen bases. Kenny Oama's a back-end-of-the-order guy, 20 stolen bases. Jake Palmer hits second, and he has a 450 on base percentage, 40 walks to the only 30 strikeouts. And Michael Curiel basically leads them in every other um, category offensively, um, but Kyle Karras is another guy to watch. He's got 40 RBIs and only 30 ga- 39 games. So um, every time he's been in there, he's been driving in runs for them. Yeah. Two. Uh, another note too on those West Coast parks, uh, because the weather cools off a ton on the West Coast when it hits nighttime. A lot of those night games, the ball just doesn't travel as far either as, as it does in the South. Um, we've always talked about right, you and I, when the war- when the weather gets warmer. In the southeast, the balls tend to fly a little bit more. Um, so I, I think, you know, in Corvallis this weekend, the ball will fly out of a park different than, say, mm. in Auburn or in Hattiesburg or Gainesville or, or Coral Gables. So 
it's just going to be different. And so that's why I think UCLA's numbers are, are a bit skewed with the power. Um, they get on base, man. 390 as a team. That's a team that knows how to get on. They're going to bunt. I, I don't think they're going to be scared to move people across. They've got one kid with eight sacrifice bunts uh, on the year. Um, so this is not a team that, that's really going to be afraid of trying to play small ball and try and beat you, especially if they have Ragic on the mound. They're going to look at trying to beat you like five to three on, on Friday. But FSU fans are used to pack, uh, I shouldn't say just pack 12, but they're used to West Coast teams. We've played Cal State, Fullerton, Stanford. We played Cal this year in a series, and, and we've played this UCLA team before too. So um, familiarity with the West Coast a ton. Um, but Brett, I think, I think top to bottom, UCLA might be the most complete team. Not, not that I think any of the three teams are, uh, are fully juggernauts, but I think if you told me who's the most solid, whereas their, 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 mo- their maximum and their minimum was more in the middle as a median, who would be the, the most solid team? I'd probably go with UCLA. Yeah, I think the one concern for UCLA is, is kind of their starting pitching. Just because if Radjic isn't able to go, they really only have one other guy that's that started a bunch of games this year. Um, so, you know, for their sake, you really hope he can go. But, um, you know, with the bats, it's it's just it's get on base, put the ball in play, don't strike out. That's what they do. They're going to make you make plays. And FSU has struggled sometimes this year in doing that, especially on bunt plays and stuff like that. Um, so FSU is going to have to be ready for that stuff. They're, they probably prepared for it a lot this week. Um, probably more so than ever going into a weekend just because of how those West Coast teams play. But, um, you know, I think I think this UCLA team, like you said, is probably the most complete team in, in the regional, in my opinion. I don't know if I would per se say they're the very best team, but it just feels like the team with maybe the best chance to, to put together a weekend if, you know, if they get behind the eight ball or something. It's just they got a lot of young talent that, that really – really frightens me a little bit but um you know keep the ball in play and you're always gonna have a chance i think or keep the ball in the yard and you're always gonna have a chance to beat teams like this i think for sure i could see like Ragic going five there he'll be on a pitch count maybe if he's not you know fully able to give you a hundred pitches and they go to like a alonzo treadwell to try and close it out and um, they've got options but I, I do think that their their best chance like you said is going forward in game one to try and put themselves on a, on a Saturday night game, and then they go from there, right? Like, they just try and figure it out. Yeah, and they're 8-8 eight and eight against lefties this year. Meet said today that Parker would start game one. Um, you know, I, I thought for sure Parker would start game one. I don't really think there was probably much of a chat about that. I mean, that's just – that's your guy. To me, I don't, I don't care what he's done the last few weeks. I don't care what he usually do, does during the day, the afternoon, or, or whatnot. You have to win this. FSU has to win this game. It's a it's a must win game for them to get out of the weekend, I think. And therefore, you throw your very best pitcher, your pitcher that gives you the best chance to win, day in and day out. And no matter what the records show, no matter what the numbers show, that for this team is always going to be Parker Messick, I think. And I'm 100 with you, man. Yeah, I I don't I I don't disagree with that at all. I know there's some people that disagree with with him going, but. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's, there's any other way you could, you could go to start this, this regional. Yeah. I don't think many teams are afforded the luxury of not using the race unless you're like a, a regional host. And even then, like I would only do it if you were playing like Southeast Louisiana or UNC Greensboro or a team that was like 
not a juggernaut in a mid-major conference as a four, right? Like I would FSU's gotten burned by not using its number one starter a couple times in Tallahassee. Uh, I mean, in, in years past, because you you play a four seed that's lineup is incredible. Um, so you definitely have to know your matchup, right? And most teams don't hold anyone for a game two. They're ace for a game two if they're in the two three matchup. So I know Bryce Hubbard's been really good. I just don't think you can afford to be in a Saturday at noon type of game, right? Like, I think that's going to spell some danger for your program. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Parker's got to come out, set the tone. And, Brett, I mean, we're looking for Parker to to kind of have one of those Parker Messick vintage performances. We know it's been a couple weeks since we've truly seen Parker at his best. And um, knowing the competitor that, that Messick is and just he lives for these moments. And let's be real and, and honest with ourselves – these are the final few performances for Parker Messick in a Seminole uniform, and it might be the final one um, on Friday against UCLA, depending on what happens. So I actually, you know, I'm, in my mind, I think Parker's going to come out and be phenomenal. I really do. I think we've got one more Parker Messick masterpiece left to watch as, as uh, broadcasters, as journalists, as fans, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm really excited for him to get the ball on a normal Friday for a change. Yeah, I mean, I everything you said, I think is spot on. Um, yeah, I'm just excited. I'm probably just gonna take it in for the most part, to be honest, because it it could be the last one, and I, you know, I don't really think anyone will be able to will ever be able to understand how good Parker was here for three years because we didn't get that full first season. But um, there's there's just no one else I I would want in in that situation than Parker to 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 give you a chance and win a game. It's just you just know he's going to go out there and battle, and that's that's exactly what you you asked for. And um, at the end of the day, even if Parker doesn't have his best stuff, I, I still feel like he's going to give you a chance to win. And in some some way, or some somehow, he's 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 just going to will himself to 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 give the team a chance to win. So, um, looking forward to it on on Friday morning. I really am. All right, you want to talk about Auburn? Yeah, let's do it. All right, the Auburn Tigers out of the SEC, they were number 14 overall seed with an RPI of 14. Strength of schedule of, it looks like 75. No, that's non-conference. Where am I finding the the strength of schedule? Oh, 14, strength of schedule, excuse me. So pretty good. Record of 37 and 19 overall, 16 and 13 in the SEC. So that's a a quality mark. Um, But by a lot of... Stand by a lot of metrics and a, a lot of regional projections, Auburn was a two seed by the end of the year. They finished the year losing three out of four to the same team. They played Kentucky on the road in Lexington to finish the regular season and then lost to them in the first game of the SEC tournament in Hoover. Um, so they're kind of limping in to this tournament, and a lot of people thought they had lost that regional host. And um, Brett, they, they do have a good baseball team, though. I think we need to say that. Obviously, you win 37 games in the SEC. Uh, you're doing something right. They have a lot of good series wins on the year. Um, but it's an Auburn team that's not without its faults. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously the the big thing for them is, is Sonny Deshar. I think that's how you say it. But um, one of the best players in the SEC, one of the best players in the country, um, and really a good story too. But, you know, outside of that, just like UCLA, they they don't have anyone with double-digit home runs. And, um, you know, in SEC play, their their team ERA was – Five eight five um, with two eighty six average against. Um, so it's it's a team that that has some holes I think, 
Doesn't have, you know, many great starters. Doesn't have many great bullpen arms either. Um, but I think they probably have the best offense in, in this uh, in this regional. And I think they probably have the most quick strike offense out of anybody um, that's going to be in, in Auburn this weekend. Yeah, Deshera is really good. 18 home runs, 48 RBIs. Brett mentioned he's a really good story. And he is. I believe he started his career at Samford. Um, and was one of the best power hitters in the SOCON for a number of years. And so nearby Auburn decided to give him a look. He's 379 on the year, 18 bombs, 48 RBIs, 15 doubles, and listen to this, 62 walks to 45 strikeouts. So he is probably individually the best hitter in this regional. Um, Florida State's going to have to really be aware of him. Parker's going to, you know, Parker's been giving up a couple of home runs. Bryce has been giving up a couple of home runs. So you've got to kind of be aware of when Sonny Deshera comes to the plate. Um, but after that, they've got a couple of decent hitters as well. Uh, Blake Rambush, uh, 349, 81 base hits, one of the top marks in the SEC. And uh, he gets on base and doesn't strike out a ton. Bobby Pierce, really good player. Brooks Carlson can make you pay. And then uh, they've got a couple of guys underneath there and. Uh, Case and Howell, Brody Moore, and Cam Hill that have also been scrappy for them all season long. They don't really run. Um, Rambush is 16 of 21, and Howell is 11 of 12. So they don't, they're not really going to test you, but they do field the ball at an r- exceptional clip. 980, 980 is a team, and I would say, too, Brett, playing at home in familiar territory, they're probably not going to give you many free bases and, and extra outs this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's a clean baseball team, well-coached team with Thompson, you were talking about earlier with him um you know they just have you know a couple really quality baseball players especially at the top of the order i think um rambush is i think how you say the third baseman's name blake rambush 349 hitter um 11 doubles four homers Um, he's been their leadoff hitter all year i think he's got 16 stolen bases um he's been playing third bases not only five errors um you know only player who has the most error on their teams i think is six I mean that's really really good for that being your worst your worst fielder on the year. Um, yeah, across the board they just seem like they play solid baseball. Um, on the mound they can get hit a bit. They don't walk a ton of guys though. They don't strike out a ton of guys either. But um, you know that they're, they're not a team that seems to beat themselves. I think has been just from looking at the stats, looking from you know looking through some game logs and stuff with them. It just seems like they don't beat themselves too often. Um, but if you play good baseball against them, they're not a, they're not a regional host that is unbeatable or that you're going to have to play absolutely amazing against. I don't think they they have some holes to them, um, especially on the mound that I think can be taken advantage of if if, if you you know get the matchups that you want. I agree with you, and it's going to be um, a lot of fun. I think if Florida State and Auburn meet up, obviously there's some history with this team. Between the two programs, I think a lot of Florida State fans remember Dylan Busby hitting the triple off the wall down to our final strike back in 2017. No, 20 was it 2017? It was, yeah. yeah. And then Will Zierzow with the uh, game of his life, um, the complete game shutout in Game 7 uh, when Florida State forced that to, to get to a Super Regional and the Knowles eventually made Omaha. But... Was it J.C. Flowers who got plunked, I want to say, for the game-winning so. run in extras? I believe yeah, that's right. J.C. was like, what, 0 for his last... Something, and he got hit. 40-something? 
I remember Hauser being a lot of fun that night too. The atmosphere was incredible, and I think that's stuck into the craws of Auburn fans for a while. Um, Auburn made Omaha, I want to say, the next year in 20 – no, two years so. later, they went to Omaha in 2019. They had that run, and Florida State and Auburn were actually in the same um, College World Series. Auburn was on the other side uh, of the bracket. Uh, but after that, the 2020 season, obviously COVID hit. 2021, Auburn was not a very good baseball team last season. And so they haven't hosted at Plainsman Park. I want to say, I don't know if it's ever, but in this stadium, I think it might be the first time. So I, I would say, like, this fan base is hungry. I would expect pretty good crowds of about nearly 5,000. They have a, a parking deck, by the way, Brett, similar mm-hmm. to the one at Joanne Graff Field, where you can act, a lot of fans don't have to pay for tickets and can just watch from the left field line. I expect that to be, like, four levels of, of packed and Auburn hates Florida State, man. Like, this is not to mention the national championship the football got over them um, because their hero, Chris Davis, got mossed by Kelvin Benjamin. I was there for that in Pasadena. Um, I have a couple of Auburn friends, too, Brett, who are really excited about this regional. And, again, it has nothing to do with baseball. It has everything to do with, like, football. And and they think there's a rivalry between the Knolls and the Tigers for some reason. I know we're only about three hours and 20 minutes away from each other, and I had a few friends from high school decide from Tally to go to Auburn, and so uh, it's been some trash talk this week. Uh, but the Auburn Tigers, they are ready for the Knowles. I shared that article with you, didn't I? Yeah. The, one of the Auburn beat writers decided to write in a whole article. Instead of previewing the regional and, and writing about Auburn and the great season and being ready to play and hosting at Plainsman Park, they wrote about a thousand words on why Auburn was looking forward to getting revenge on Florida state and why it would mean a lot for Auburn to turn the tables on FSU. So it seems like the narrative in Auburn this weekend is we really want to win this regional, but we'd like to do it at FSU's expense. doesn't seem like they're worried about UCLA a whole lot or Southeast Louisiana. It feels like an ACC SEC classic backyard brawl um, like they have been in the past. And so, um, yeah, that's the atmosphere we're about to walk into, Brett. I think there will be some animosity when both of us travel to Plainsman Park. And uh, Wouldn't it be great to see a bunch of garnet and gold make the trip? It's an easy drive. Those of you in Atlanta, by the way, I know there's a lot of Atlanta Knowles. It's an hour and 45 minutes from Atlanta to Auburn. Would love to see you guys there uh, either Friday or Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that would be awesome. Obviously, LSU and Georgia the last – Real time, we traveled in Ole Miss last year. There were a few as well, good crowds, and it helps the guys. Um, you know, they see it. They that, That's the first thing they see usually, I think, when they step on the field. But, um, yeah, I'm glad it's not too far of a drive for me personally, for Aria, um, for all the rest of us going there. Um, man, it could be quite the trip if we have to play Oregon State and Super Regionals, though. That would be uh, – That'd be Let's get there, huh? a little expensive. Let's get there first, right? Yeah. yeah. I think we, we didn't actually talk about Auburn's arms, did we? Not really. We can if you want. Um, I believe Mason Barnett has been their ace for most of the season. Uh, Trace Bright's their number two, and their guy with the best ERA has been their number three, Joseph Gonzalez, with a 274 ERA. But I don't know who Florida State will see out of those guys. I imagine... I don't know if Auburn's going to save Mason Barnett for Saturday and go Trace Bright first, but both guys have pretty good stuff, decent numbers. Seems like none of their starters, though, go very long. 
They last about five innings for the most part. Yeah, my my best guess, I don't know. I think my best guess would be they go bright, maybe game one and Barnett or Gonzalez game two. Um, they're eating three with both Barnett and Gonzalez in the mound, and they're only seven and seven when bright starts. Um, still don't really know exactly what they're going to do. It's just their arms are a bit weird to figure out. A lot of guys throw a lot of innings, maybe not even starting-wise. and um, But, yeah, it, it's, it's tough for us to project right now who everybody's going to throw. Um, but just trying to figure out the matchups best. Um, but you know, all we know is Florida State's going to go with Bryce Hubbard in game two. So whoever FSU is facing, um, Bryce Hubbard will be on the mound for FSU on Saturday. Yeah, Blake Burkhalter is a, a relief arm for them that has 13 saves but 38 innings. So it seems like that's someone they'll extend out two or three innings to try and save things down, uh, shut things down. Excuse me, Carson Skipper, another guy, 46 innings pitched, only one start, so 22 appearances total and 46 innings pitched. Again, it feels like they go four or five innings with a starter and then they match them up with somebody to try and shut you down for the rest of the game. Yeah, the weird thing about. Um you know, both those guys, Burkhalter and Skipper, their overall numbers are are decent, but both of them, I mean, basically everybody that threw for for uh, Auburn outside of Gonzalez and Moulds and SEC were pretty terrible. Um, Skipper, Carson Skipper had a 7.56 ERA, an SEC play within 25 innings pitched, um, 290 average against Burkhalter, the other arm that, has, that had 10 saves in SEC play, um, he's still at a 5-5 ERA in 18 innings. Um, he will strike a lot of guys out, though, 28 Ks in 18 innings. Um, does give up some home run. I'm guessing he has velo and you know gave up five home runs in SEC play, um, but only a 242 average against. So um, that's the one thing to watch if he comes in the game, maybe get some home runs off of him. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a confusing pitching staff to, to figure out as a whole. Brad, it looks like Florida State has been given a really manageable regional. I mean, I'm not going to project the Knolls to come out of it or anything like that, but there is certainly if the Knolls play like they have in certain weekends this season, they can win this regional and do it looking like the best team. Like, the, I don't think Auburn is as good as even Ole Miss was last year when you got sent there. It's not going to be as hostile of an environment either at Plainsman Park as what you got at Swayze. Um Auburn's just kind of okay, you know, and so we'll have to see, you know, what the Knolls are able to do um, when they go there. And UCLA, I do think, is a better two seed though than you had last year with Southern Miss. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think UCLA is probably a more complete team than than Southern Miss was. I think you're probably going to face better. Over, I mean, overall, I think that the the group of starters that Southern Miss had last year and Auk by himself were obviously very good, but. Um, Overall, I mean, just prestige and, and everything about UCLA, that matchup, and um, them coming across the country, I think they're going to be trying to prove something. Um, you know, it's not just SEC, ACC, but also ACC versus West Coast ball. So, because um, some good matchups setting up. And then, you know, we never know what happens in that 1v4 with, with Southeastern, Louisiana, and Auburn. I think, you know, that could be interesting, possibly. Um, I believe Southeastern Louisiana's Ace has some all right numbers and could 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 get them through a game there maybe. Yeah, I mean they're a team though that was surpri- a surprise to get in. Uh, they upset um, McNeese State 
to be able to get to this. And, and McNeese State was the best team um, in the Southland, I believe, for much of the year. And um, so it's it's a uh, I would say as far as four seed goes, they're not as good as some of the other four seeds. Certainly, they're not as good as like a Central Michigan, who uh, I believe is in Gainesville with Florida. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see uh, what goes on uh, for the Seminoles in uh, in Auburn. Yeah, Brad, I think one thing I want to touch on, too, though, is this matchup on Friday between Ragic and Parker Messick. A lot of people are kind of coining it as the best opening pitching matchup in the tournament to start um, on Friday. And a lot of the national guys are excited about it. And I think you and I will be really pumped to be able to watch those two arms go to work there in person. Yeah, it will be a good matchup. Um, you know, obviously, we I think we both hope that Ragic does go just to get the best possible matchup that we can see in the best you know as as fair as it gets and um or as healthy as both teams can get that's what we would like to see and um you know it's two really quality college arms two arms that um you know i think Radic is draft eligible next year i think he's supposed to go top five rounds or so or top 10 rounds at least you know we expect parker to go top three or so rounds um you know there's not a ton of crazy good pitching matchups this first day which is a little weird and usually there's a lot more I think the other one I saw is um what's the other one uh Connecticut Wake Forest louder and I think Peterson is the name of, of UConn's pitcher pretty sure that's a good matchup um maybe Air, Air Force has one going yeah Air Force Texas. with Skeens if if Texas has to throw there's ace if but Skeens for Air Force is really good so I would think that Texas will throw Pete throw Pete Hansen that'd be a good matchup too and then I think the other one is Andrew Taylor versus Sprode at Florida. Um, but I don't think any of them are up to the level that, um, you know, Parker and Ragic will be unless Hanson goes for Texas. But um, just really excited to see it. And like we mentioned earlier, just hope that Parker has one more of those starts in him to that are just absolutely phenomenal to watch when he's, when he's going right. It's just I think that's what everybody wants in college baseball is to watch Parker Messick when he's right. Without a doubt. All right, give me your best lineup in this regional. Oh, geez. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, I would definitely have Brett Roberts hitting two. I think maybe I would go. I think I would go. Um, let's see. T-Mart. No, no. Carry on, then B-Rob, then T-Mart, then Jaime, then Tibbs. Um, and I think Terrell, Lacey, Albert, and uh, Vincent. And I think you need to get Brock in there if you face the lefties. Um, you know, I think you need to start doing things a little different when facing lefties, maybe, um, with your platoon situations. But, um, you know, when we get righties this week, I think it will be, um, you know, a similar type of lineup to the ones we've seen recently. Um, but that's what my lineup would be, the one that – that I said with uh, that first three carry on uh, Roberts, T Mart, Ferrer, that that mix. I think that would that would work out well. Not expecting to see that though. All right, so that's that's we're moving into the question portion uh, of this pod, and there was a number of you asked what the starting lineups would be or various questions about who would play where. So wanted to start off with that, Brett. Who would you start game three and four if you got to a game three and four? Game three, I'd probably start Whitaker. Um, Game four, it's tough. I mean, you don't really know who would be available. But, you know, out of guys, I think that they, they're they not going to use out of the pen. 
probably. I don't know. I think Ballmeister's a potential guy. Um, you know, I still think Carson will be in the mix, depending on how he's used, and I'm sure they might still view him as the third starter. Um, we don't really know. We asked Meet earlier this week, or I guess that was last week at the AC tournament, what their plans were with Carson, and they just didn't know yet. Um, and they haven't really said this week what they're going to do with him. Um, so we'll see. But um, personally, for myself, that third starter would be Whitaker. That fourth one, you, you just it, it's hard to know because you just don't know who would be available at that point in the weekend. But um, I would think maybe Ballmeister or Scolaro or Dunn or Montgomery if, if those two guys haven't thrown yet. Yeah, I think for me it's you only really know game one and game two, yeah. right? You have Parker and then you know Bryce and – who throws game three or four, I think, depends on where you're at after two games in this regional. If you're 2-0 and in the regional, you have some things to work with because now you're also talking about whatever team faces you in game three is probably on their number four starter. And if you get to a game four and you're up, say you're up 2-0 already in the regional, and then you lose one, you're now playing Johnny Holstaff. And so I think it all depends on if you're 0-1 or 1-1 in a game three, um, what happens from there. I think would be um, dependent on that. But maybe if they haven't used Crowell, they think about it. If they haven't used Whitaker in, in long relief, they think about it. Ross Dunn, if he hasn't been used. Um, and then you said Carson as well. Maybe a Jonah, if Jonah hasn't been used in certain spots. Could he open a game three or game four, potentially? Um, but I agree with you there. I think it, it all depends after two games and, and where Florida State is. Will Montgomery close, in your opinion? Uh, me uh, kind of started to talk about reevaluating certain things. I think, did you ask him in the ACC tournament? Yeah. I and just, it was interesting, his response. It seemed very much like they were up for discussion on how to use him going forward. Here's my thing. If, you know, if you're up one in the ninth or something, you know, I don't know if they're going to go to Carson over Davis just because Davis has been there before. Um, Carson hasn't been, um, you know, I just find that it would be, I don't know. I, I don't expect them to do it. I wouldn't mind them doing it, but I don't expect them to do it. Um, cause they just haven't done it except for twice this year, which was a total of three ounce. And what were they? One was in a midweek and one was the last game of a weekend where Carson hadn't thrown all week yet. Um, I want to say it was Georgia Southern, the midweek. Yeah. In Louis- and- Louisville. Yes, right. and, and we just hadn't, we just haven't seen it much, and which makes it hard to say that it's going to happen. I still think you're going to get Wyatt that first game, that you have a chance to close it out, and then you're going to get Davis probably the games after that closing games out. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I would love to see it. Is the problem with the offense the quality of teams that we faced, or is there a mentality issue? Maybe identity is a better word than mentality. Right, I think I think mentality. I think the kids are trying hard. Yeah, I don't really. I don't know. Identity wise, I can see that. You know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of complimenting of each other. Sometimes with the batting order too, that guys are coming up in spots that you don't, you traditionally wouldn't want to see them in. Um, I just they're not protecting each other in the lineup as I well just, as they could. Yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of issues. There's, you know, for a while I haven't really loved the lineup configurations and. I haven't thought that guys are maybe put in their best matchups sometimes, but, um, you know, the talent isn't there like that it used to be, but that's part of development. That's part of approach. Um, 
And at the end of the day, the thing that I think I've talked about the most with Aria recently is that this offense just doesn't, does not have something to cling to. It, it, it doesn't have power. It doesn't have speed. It doesn't have, you know, a high contact rate. It, it, there's not just one thing this offense does extremely well. Um, I don't know. They hit doubles well, but that's not a thing. Like, you can, um, that's just why I feel like sometimes this offense just goes so quiet for lo- such long periods of time. You know, last year, at least the lineup you knew could bank on power. This offense sometimes just feels like they don't have something to bank on. They don't have something to always be relying on, which which is tough. But, you know, I think I think this lineup is still not as bad as some people think it is, and I still think there's some talented hitters in there, especially the top half of the order. And at the end of the day, I think still the most important things for this team is to get production out of Logan Lacey and Alex Terrell. I think if you do that, you can win a, win a regional. If not, I think it's going to be a bit tough. That parlays me into a question I had for you, Brett. Give me one pick to click for Florida State this weekend. Basically, I'm asking you, who do you think – give me a name that has to play well in, in order for the Knowles to has get Has to out play of well or do I think will play well? You can do both if you'd like. The world is your oyster. I just think that, like I mentioned, you ha- I mean, I just think you have to have Alex Terrell play well this week. I just think you need produ- production out of him. Um, I'm not so sure either way if he's going to do it or not going to do it. We've seen both sides from Alex. We've seen weekends where he does get hot, but we've seen weekends where he struggles to make adjustments. Um, you know, my pick to click would probably be Brett Roberts, and that probably would be my pick most of the time just because of what I think of his bat talent, but more so than that, just the way he's been swinging recently. Um, just feel like recently seeing everything well and, and making a lot of hard contact and starting to use all, all the field a lot again. And, um, you know, I, I, he's had some bad ball luck recently, too, that I think his, it would have raised his average even a little more. Um, and obviously, I think we always expect Jaime to hit. But um, those would probably be my two picks for those two things. I'll give you two picks for me that are I do think will play well this weekend. One is James Tibbs. The other is Jordan Carrion. I think, I think Carrion, especially having been – um, in the SEC and having seen these types of arms and I think having been in that atmosphere before, I think he'll be able to. He also seems to me like a primetime type of player, a kid that like feeds off of the big moment um, and really enjoys that. Um, and Tibbs is going to be – I think he's going to have a lot of family there, you know, very short drive from his neck of the woods in the Atlanta area to come over. And I, I just – I think Tibbs has been getting better as the season goes along. So I'm, I'm excited for him. Um, the one that I think – is going to have to be big for Florida State. Give me Logan Lacey. Postseason experience. He's been flying under the radar, off and on performances, inconsistent all year. But when Logan's gotten streaky good, it's carried this team for weekends. And if he does that this weekend, I think we look back on it if FSU wins the regional and say Logan Lacey was hot for the Knowles this weekend. So other than that, obviously I think the arms have to pitch well. Like I think Parker and Bryce are going to have to pitch like top 75 draft prospects. Um, we have the best pitching staff in this regional, in my opinion, top to bottom. I, I think these are the best arms, is, is Florida State. Um, can we hit enough? I hope so. Can we field and not throw the ball away in big moments like we did last year uh, up in Oxford? I hope so. Ultimately, I just don't know. Like We haven't shown enough consistency for me to feel comfortable picking Florida State. But this is a wide-open regional. It's not particularly loaded with phenomenal baseball teams. You've got three teams that any one of them could win it. 
Um, and I think if you were FSU and you had told me this with the way the team had played all year, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. I'd have said, give me this regional and at least give me a shot so that I can feel like we, we have a decent chance. So um, I think that's it for questions that I wanted to ask you. Uh, do you feel, who do you feel is getting out of the regional? If I put gun to your head right now and said, make a pick. Oh gosh. I don't know. This is such a weird regional. Uh, I think I picked UCLA to get out um, with Auburn as the runner-up. Um, I kind of had FSU doing the same thing as last year. Um, that's just kind of my gut feeling. It's been my gut feeling for a while. Just with this team being very inconsistent at the little things. Um, but at the end of the day, they could pitch their they could they could just dominate on the mound and pitch their way through a regional like this. But um, you know, if I'm having to make a pick. It'd probably be be UCLA right now, the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, that's who I have in my bracket, too. I took UCLA. I think they're top to bottom, the most complete team. Um, and I actually think their bats are the most stable in terms of one through nine in their lineup. I think they'll feed off each other, and they're flying under the radar, in my opinion. So that's who I got. I do think Florida State has a good shot. I think, you know, someone asked me this week, give me some percentages and give me some odds, and I, and I took Florida State saying that, you know, I think they have better odds than a lot of – people are giving them credit for so now they just got to prove it i think that first game between fsu and ucla could potentially decide who wins that regional i just think whoever wins that game between those two is is best set up with their arms their complete staff to do what they want to do but at the end of the day auburn's going to have that home field advantage that we can't forget about and um, they've played well at home this year so can't totally we can't can't just completely rule them out too it's just it's three really decent baseball teams, I think. And like I said earlier, I just whoever plays the most clean baseball is just it's gonna come out of this weekend. Yeah, they do have a unique park, by the way, too, Brett, in Plainsman. Um they have a, a green monster out in left field, thirty foot high wall, and it's only three fifteen. So it's like Hauser, but flip it, and there's a wall like there there is in Fenway. Um that takes away a lot of those home run, short home runs and turns them into doubles or singles. So I hope FSU play, you know, goes there and when they take fielding and, and BP and they get that day to kind of adjust that they spend a lot of time. It is a hitter's ballpark to certain spots. Dead centers only, I think three ninety. Is that right? Something like that. It's not a full 400. Um, and you can get the ball out in certain parks. It is a, a really pretty ballpark. Um, they've done a nice job with it and it should be a, a fun atmosphere all weekend long, but Brett looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the whole postseason picture. Um, you know, I know the bracket was pretty random like we talked about, but there are a lot of good matchups, I think. I'm excited to watch how the ACC performs in this tournament. I, I really think that some of these ACT, ACC teams are a lot better than people realize, and I really think some of these ACC teams, their lineups, their bats, are going are gonna to start to show out um, coming up this weekend. But... Um, yeah, I'm just – this is the best time of the year for college baseball. So uh, it's, it's, this is when it gets fun. This is when it get, gets real and we, we see who some of the real players are and who, who shines in those big moments. 12 noon Eastern time, first pitch between the Knolls and the Bruins. Yeah, 11 a.m. in Central time, which is where we'll both be. And those of you, you get it on ESPN2. You get to watch it nationally. Uh, lunchtime on Friday, Florida State's Parker Messick against UCLA's Max Ragic. It should be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll have coverage all weekend. I'm sure Brett and I will do a couple of instant analyses uh, at some point. 
um, throughout the weekend. We'll, we'll kind of feel that out and, and talk about it. Uh, we don't know what time the winner's bracket game would be Saturday, I don't believe, uh, should Florida State win. Um, I would imagine it'll stay at that 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock Eastern time split. And a lot of it depends on TV and what they want to do this time of year with regionals. So stay tuned. You can follow Brett on Twitter. You follow myself on Twitter and and we'll try and keep you guys posted all weekend. Uh, Brett will be there for 24 seven. I'll be there with uh, Bob Ferranti of Osceola and uh, we'll have a lot of fun covering this team. And hopefully it's a good weekend for the Knowles and they can advance out of the Auburn regional. We are again on Spotify. We are on Apple pods and Google pods and everywhere else that you like to get your favorite podcasts. And, and we've been thankful. Please share Sunday golds with your friends. Those of you who have passionate FSU baseball friends and family, let them know about us. And we just try to shoot it to you straight and uh, passionately bring you coverage of FSU baseball like we have for the past couple of years. But we'll talk to you in Auburn for Brett Nevitt, Amaria Masudi signing off from Sunday golds.